then he called the crowd along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. Why would someone give up so much for the kingdom of God? Why would a man take God's vision for people so seriously that he would trade everything for it? I grew up hearing these kinds of stories. They were, they were inspirational for me. The great missionaries of the past who had endured extreme hazards, uh, the death of loved ones, uh, sickness, rejection, uh, loneliness, and, and sometimes death. But why? You know, why make such a great sacrifice? Why would they go to such great lengths and give up so much? It's a real question. The most influential story for me in my teenage years was the story of the five men, including Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, five men, who, young men, who were absolutely captured by the heart of God for people who had never heard. Never heard about it. Didn't know about Jesus. Didn't know about God's love and God's life. They were absolutely captured by that and how these five men prayed and prepared and worked years out and began to strategize and, and, and then make connection with a, with a lost tribe and were eventually slaughtered in their valiant attempts to make contact and bring the good news of Jesus to this Stone Age tribe in South America. These are men who had promising careers. Men with incredible gifts. Men with families. Men with years ahead of them of service to the kingdom. Dead on a sandbar. Pierced through by the very people they came to love. And to show God's love. Why would they do that? Why sacrifice career and fame and comfort and safety? Why sacrifice life at all? Why would they, why would they think or, or, or somehow value God's kingdom so highly that it was worth everything for them? And, and, and maybe the harder question for some of us is why would their wives do the same and their families? It's a very sobering question. But I think we should make it a little more personal, maybe to us. I mean, it's highly unlikely, unlikely that any of us are going to pay that kind of price. I get that, obviously. But why do you make sacrifices for the kingdom of God? I know, I know many of you do, but why? 
why sacrifice? Why deny ourselves? Making God's vision for people somehow more of a priority in our lives than our career or, or maybe our simple comforts. Because every follower of Jesus is called to that. It's, it's, it's called to somehow see God's vision for life as more important than their own. So why would you? Why would you sacrifice? Why would you give it up? Why would you give up comfort and safety and money and time? Why would you give up on addictions or pleasures or even just distractions for the sake of God's kingdom work, for the sake of seeing God's love come in and transform people's lives? Why would you give it up? Why would you sacrifice an easy life for a life in the mission with Jesus? Why would you take that road, following Jesus, rather than just sitting in comfort on the sidelines? Why would you do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I think Jesus, in lots of different ways, tells us. But in the two stories we're going to look at today, he points to something that is significant. It helps us understand why we would sacrifice. It helps both encourage and challenge us. Jesus, we're going to let Jesus speak today through two uh, kingdom parables that are found in Matthew 13. It's a collection of kingdom parables. And we're going to walk through them today and, and, and let's see how they both encourage and challenge us as we consider that question. Let's get right into it. So, it starts off with the kingdom of heaven is like. But I want to stop us right there and, and just, just make a little bit of a clarification. When Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, he means the kingdom of of God. They're interchangeable phrases. Matthew prefers it. There's good reasons for that uh, if, if we get into Matthew. But, but just to hear this, when he says the kingdom of heaven, he means the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of heaven, because of some of our cultural ways of hearing the word heaven, we get off on the wrong track. When we hear the word heaven here, especially the kingdom of heaven, it's not some faraway place or some future abode where you float around on clouds. That is not I don't believe that's what actually the Bible teaches about heaven at all, but that's certainly not what's being referred to here. In this uh, passage, when, when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, heaven represents the rule and the reign of God. So when you hear kingdom of heaven, hear God's reign as king, which is present and it's powerful and it's real. And Jesus is on the scene announcing it and demonstrating it, showing people that the kingdom of heaven has come near to them. So when he says the kingdom of heaven, he's describing what it's like to be around and in and experiencing God's rule and reign in our lives. Hear that as we walk through this uh, story. Jesus is describing what it's like to be in on what God is doing as he brings freedom and hope and healing to people. All right, so the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. I love this story. You get the picture? This guy is just walking through a field. Does he own the field? So what is he doing there? He's trespassing. Or, okay, maybe a little more generously, He's just passing through. But it's not his field, you understand. And, I don't know, he trips. Something's sticking out of the ground. Was he looking for it? No. He was heading over the neighbors for coffee. I, I'm not sure where he was going, but he wasn't looking for treasure, was he? 
He was happening along. He, he wasn't on the hunt for some hidden hoard. He didn't have a map and a compass in hand with a big X on it, you know. He was just out for a walk. And here he finds the greatest treasure of his life. Serendipitous. Reminds me of a recent story in National Geographic uh, about this Celtic treasure that was found uh, over in the UK. Uh, let me read a, a little, a little bit uh, snippet for you. Just listen to this. For 1,300 years, the treasure lay undisturbed, and uh, eventually the landscape evolved from forest clearing to grazing pasture to working field. Then treasure hunters equipped with metal detectors, uh, a little bit different than the parable, I get that, but you know, treasure in a field here. Uh, the treasure hunters equipped with metal detectors, ubiquitous in Britain, began to call on farmer Fred Johnson, asking permission to walk the field. Get it? Farmer, hey, guys show up. Hey, can we check out your field? I told one I'd lost a wrench and asked him to find that, Johnson says. I love it. Instead, on July 5th, 2009, Terry Herbert came to the farmhouse door and announced to Johnson that he had found Anglo-Saxon treasure. The Stratfordshire hoard, as it was quickly dubbed, electrified the general public and Anglo-Saxon scholars alike. Spectacular discoveries such as the royal finds at Sutton Hoo in Suffolk and had been made in Anglo-Saxon burial sites, but the treasure pulled from Fred Johnson's field was novel. A cache of gold, silver, and garnet objects from early Anglo-Saxon times and from the one of the most important kingdoms of the era. Moreover, the quality and style of the intricate working on the objects was extraordinary, inviting heady comparisons to such legendary treasures as the Lindisfarne Gospels and the, and the Book of Kells. Treasure hidden in a field. Now imagine how that farmer felt. Or let me ask you this. How valuable exactly was that man's field the day before this treasure was found? Market value, right? Whatever market value. How, value was it, how valuable exactly was it the day after? Somewhere to the tune of $5.3 million more valuable. The treasure, exactly. And, and here it is in his field. Now, in this parable, uh, the man, when he finds this, uh, the, the, you know, he's not a treasure hunter, but he finds this hidden treasure, and he does the only logical thing considering what he's discovered. The only logical thing. He just kind of left it there because he was too busy to do anything about it. He really had to get to work, you understand, so he decided, you know, it's really not worth my bother. But that's not what he did, right? He went home. <laughs> And he sold everything he had and he went and bought that poor sucker's field. I don't know who it was that sold the field to him, but I guarantee you he was kicking himself later, right? Anyway, that's pushing the parable too far. But nonetheless, he went and he bought the field, right? He bought the field. Well, let's go on to the next story. We'll make some comments soon. Um, again, the next story Jesus tells, and they're kind of together. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, in this story, this guy is on the hunt. He's actually looking for something. He's not casually strolling through a field or just, he's not even window shopping in the market and noticing something great. He's a merchant on the search for choice pearls. He knows what he's looking for. He's an expert. And when he discovers that pearl, when he realizes what he's found, he does the exact same thing that the other guy did. He sells everything he has, which 
presumably, if he's a, you know, a, a merchant like this, there's probably a whole lot of other je- jewels and gems and, and, and pearls along with personal property. Sells everything he owns to buy this one pearl. Just one choice pearl. What do we make of these stories? Why does Jesus tell us these stories? How do they connect to our lives? And particularly for this morning, the question of giving up. The question of sacrifice. Well, let me make a few uh, just observations. I will ask you in a bit for questions, if you have questions or, or thoughts to add to this. But uh, let's, just, let's just dive in uh, to these, these stories a little bit more broadly. I think, first of all, we recognize that these stories are stories of valuable discovery. You know, one man finds a treasure accidentally. Uh, one man is hunting intently. But both of them find something immensely valuable. And they recognize that it's valuable. And I think this is important. How people find Jesus, how people come to understand God's vision for them and his life for them can be very, very different. How people receive the love and the forgiveness of Jesus and and come to that place where they're, they're ready to go for it can be very diverse. Some seek truth for years, reading and asking and processing, slowly coming closer to Jesus, growing in trust and, and, and stepping forward until one day they realize that Jesus really is their everything. Others seem to stumble onto Jesus by surprise. They're not really looking for him. They, they weren't out looking to, you know, find the Savior of the world. They weren't, they weren't out looking to have their lives turned upside down. They just, they're just cruising along, you know, working, living. And all of a sudden, they find this treasure. They find Jesus. Some of us were raised in faith and, and, and we kind of always have known Jesus. And, and maybe we've had points in our lives where we've realized what we've had, but it's been something that's always been present in our lives. And others of us have kind of come gradually along, almost imperceptibly, to know and to trust Jesus. But the point is, however people came to know and trust Jesus, there comes a point when they cry out, you know, Eureka, because they realize what they found they realize they've hit the jackpot. And then they realize that they're un- unbelievably, you know, not because of really anything they've done, not because they're great, not because whatever, they realize that they're holding this most precious treasure. That they've come to understand this Jesus who loves them, who passionately pursued them, who is offering all of life and freedom and forgiveness to them. And all else pales. Everything else. Well, second, so valuable discovery, but these stories are, are stories of bold Risk. It's quite telling that uh, both these men, the guy out for the walk and uh, the merchant on the hunt, both these men take the same bold risk. They liquidate their assets. They gather all their cash. And they do whatever it takes to get this one thing. Now, did it feel like bold risk to them? I don't actually think it felt like bold risk to them. I think they were convinced of how great their find was. But can you imagine what their family members thought? You know, Imagine what they would have said when they came home and announced that they'd just put the house up for sale, that they'd sold their car to a buddy for some cash, and, honey, we're having a garage sale this weekend. Just imagine how that would feel. Because I want to buy a field over there. Or imagine that suddenly... You're selling your entire gem collection, which I think in this context is the whole business, you know, to buy one item, one solitary pearl. I mean, what would you have said if your brother, your sister, your kid, your husband, your wife came in the door and started announcing this? In what ways would you try to talk them out of that nonsense? 
right? Uh, this is not wise. Uh, you're not thinking straight. This is a bad investment. I don't care how good it sounds. It's too good to be true. You need to diversify. Don't put your, all your eggs in one basket. Right? The thing of all the ways you try to say this is dumb. Don't do it. And here's the point, I think. When we take God's kingdom seriously, people are going to think you're nuts. They are. When you actually prioritize what God is doing in the lives of others and you begin to reorient your life around the movement of God, people will think you've lost it. They're okay if you do the church thing, you know? They're all right with that. They're even okay if you kind of every once in a while mention, you know, your Bible or something. They're, they're, they're okay. But downsize your house because you want to give more and live a different way or you know, sell your car or expend all your energy and your time trying to reach your neighbors for Jesus. You know, quitting your full-time job to enter full-time ministry. To, to Maybe, you know, you've gone too far at that point. This is overboard. This is fanatic. But when we know the value of what we've discovered, well, all else pales. And we're willing to risk whatever we have. And that leads us, I think, the flip of the coin, the, the, the flip side of the, the coin on bold risk. These stories, yeah, they're stories of bold risk, but they're stories of solid investment. These men knew beyond any doubt that they had what they had found, what they had discovered, outstripped everything else that they owned. And knowing its value, really understanding what they'd found, then what they did made perfect sense. This is like kingdom logic applied to their lives. In the eyes of everyone else, you know, you might look nuts giving up your expensive hobby to invest in the lives of youth or using vacation time to actually do overseas missions or or maybe just studying long extra hours to be really prepared for that small group that you've committed to, whatever it is. But when you know the value of what you've found, when you know how the kingdom of God is making changes in your lives and the lives of others, then... This bold risk becomes the most solid, guaranteed investment that you could ever make. All else pales in comparison. And then my fourth observation, and then we'll throw it open to questions, is just note again that Jesus is trying to tell us about the kingdom of God here. These are kingdom stories. He's trying to describe what it means for us to live in this kingdom that he's been showing to people. He's been demonstrating through the healing, and he's been teaching about it, and he's been saying there's... You know, there's a whole new way of living here. And it's, it's a treasure in and of itself. And when you really come to understand what God is up to, now that he's king, it changes everything. It's worth everything you can scrape together <laughs> to get in on it. You know that you're getting in really on the only thing that matters, which is God's kingdom transforming lives. It's the only thing that will outlast you it's the only thing that will go into eternity. Well, let's sew it up for some questions. What kind of questions are these stories raised for you? What kind of uh, questions do you have as we consider why we would sacrifice? Uh, in what ways are you challenged or inspired by these kingdom stories that Jesus has told? Or maybe you just have a question about it. Um, I'm, we have a microphone back there, Maddie. I'm just look. Oh, Roger, could you do it for us? <laughs> Roger's, no, Roger will bring around a microphone. Um, I know this is, you know, this is a very, very touchy-feely, feel-good sermon. I realize that. And you're, you're, 
you're uh, maybe scared to ask a question, Christy, but don't be scared. Okay, I'll ask a question. <laughs> I knew you weren't scared to ask a question. <laughs> well, anyway, if you've got a question, uh, this is a great time for just to, just to voice what you're thinking or some of your thoughts. Anyone? Christy has a question. No, maybe not. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about what it means to give everything and how many of us are willing to look completely and totally insane to the rest of the world mm-hmm. when we make choices that, um, for our faith that society would deem kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, my moving to Creston was a huge leap of faith for me because I basically dropped everything in Alberta and I came out here because I knew that's what I was supposed to do Um, but to the people back there it seemed insane because I decided in the space of a week that I was going to move into a town that I didn't know Um, but it's amazing that sometimes those big risks bring the greatest blessing Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you find that um, the blessing in the life the crazy life (laughs) Mm -hmm. that God has for you is so much better than anything that you could have ever imagined before you made that choice. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. What, is, what does it look like for people here to sacrifice everything, to give everything they have for, for God? Other comments, questions? Sherry, Roger. Uh, Well, when you were talking, I was thinking about it a lot, and I thought it seems with all that we've done in our life, it's fairly easy for myself anyway to think about sacrificing myself or my own life for the kingdom of God. But when I think of my children and my husband, that's when it gets tough. It's sort of like, you know, and I think, well, sacrificing myself, they're also then losing out. But it's still easier for me to think that than if I think I have to remain where I am if they're sacrificed. That's. That's where I find my borders come up, and I think, wow, that's. Don't quite know what to do with that. Thanks, Sherry. Anyone else? Dean. Like, does it necessarily like have to feel like a sacrifice? Like, I, I, no, I guess what I mean by it is. No, you're right. Like, keep one, going, Dean. Like, once you're in sync with God, like once you're living for Him, it's gonna be, it's not gonna feel like a sacrifice, right? Uh, or am I just talking myself into the comfortable lifestyle I've become accustomed to? Or? Dean, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and um, Can you preach the rest of the sermon, please? I, that's exactly it. Yes, it's a sacrifice, but in this story, do they feel like it's a sacrifice? They don't, actually. Now, don't get me wrong. There's hard decisions made. I get that. And there's times when, you know, I don't want to do that, or that hurts. But I think the dominant reality of the kingdom of God is that when we are caught up with what God is doing in the lives of others, there's joy. There's, a, there's an excitement when we realize, oh my goodness, do, do you see what's happening in those people's lives? Do you see what's happening in their marriage? Do you, do you see how that person has changed in the last couple of years? Do you, the last couple of months even? Do you realize how many youth are hanging around our church right now that are being discipled into Christ? Do you, you know, you start to, you start to, <laughs> you start to realize, oh, it's not such a sacrifice after all. 
I'm getting in on the very thing that moves heaven and earth. I mean, honestly, some of you have toured through Europe. Some of you have been around places where you look at the old rumble and crumbling you know, ruins of these beautiful castles and homes. How many of your homes are still going to be standing in 100 years? Anyone? Hold up your hands. Anyone? Yeah, maybe the Ewing's home. <laughs> 200 years, anyone? How many homes? Are gonna, you know, you start to realize that, you know, by then, all that will matter is the lives that have been transformed by the love of Jesus. Who cares? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I understand life. I'm talking about living in such a way that we're saying, my, my, my way of life, my way of living is, I want to get in what God is doing. Of course, we have homes to live in and bills to pay. I get that. But it's about saying, what's, what am I really going after here? Whose kingdom am I really serving? And I think when we understand this, this Jesus thing that's changing lives, it's way more joy than it is sacrifice. Way more joy. Um, there will be times when we have to make hard decisions. There will be times when we're tired and we just don't want to do that. <laughs> I get it. There'll be times when we have to sacrifice something. But I think even at those times, when we have been caught up, when we're caught up with what Jesus really wants to do in our church, in our valley, in the life of a family, in a, in a, in a youth, one of our teenagers, we begin to realize, oh, wow, there's no choice, really. I know what the best investment here is. And with joy, we can engage in the life that Jesus has called us to live. So... Yeah, let's keep talking with that, but that's, that's good. Becky, one more from Becky, and then uh, we'll... I didn't... My, my watch broke. <laughs> Damn. A preacher's watch broke. Just imagine that. Now that I've admitted it out loud, don't buy me a watch. I don't need ten watches showing up. But I probably should get that replaced. Um, I was just thinking that it's important to not to compare your sacrifices. Because with every different season, we all have different sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And it might seem maybe your sacrifice is that, you know what, you actually have to stay home and not run that Bible study. If you're a doer, like some of us are, sometimes it's the staying home is the sacrifice or the offering to take all the kids so other people can do their stuff. Or it's, you know, like often for me, I think that the sacrifice, you know, I have to be out doing and it's these big things and sometimes it is the not going, but sitting with that one person and having coffee. And so just being aware that sacrifice looks a million different shades of, of rainbow. And totally. it's, you know, yeah. we're so quick, maybe it's only me, quick to compare ourselves to others and just remembering that both stories were different and there's lots of different ways you can sacrifice. Thank you, Becky. And that is a great reminder. I mean, we watched that opening clip of the man tied to a cross. Going, I mean, if we're comparing ourselves to him, we're all losers, right? I mean, we're not, but that's not the call of Jesus, right? It's to follow, and so thank you for that, Becky. Um, and, I, you know, I, I know this is slightly to the side, but I, I do think it's worth being reminded that when we put the kingdom of God first in our lives, we love our family better. <laughs> we love our neighbors better. We're able to offer ourselves much more intentionally and freely to the people who need our love and support and attention, starting with, I believe, your family, starting with those who are right around you and emanating out from there. There is sacrifice in that, uh, but it's, it's following, following Jesus uh, into the life he has for us. Well, um, I want to encourage you as we conclude today, you know, this vision that Jesus has for us, 
the thing about the, 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 the hidden you know, treasure in a field is we realize that Jesus, as he told the story, he was on a hunt. He was searching. He was finding the greatest treasure in the field of the world, and it was people. And he was utterly committed, giving up everything so that you and I, so that this entire world could be restored to him. He gave it all up. That's the inspiration we follow. And he did it with joy. With joy, Jesus gave it up because he could see what God was doing. He could see what he'd been sent to do and this life that he was offering to us was worth everything he gave up. And so, as we've been looking at the last number of weeks about discipleship, he calls us into that to then continue with him to be people on the hunt, looking, who've understood the treasure we found and said, it's worth everything, folks. It's worth everything. Don't hold back. Be willing to go after it. Jesus has an amazing vision and a plan for us. And I want to encourage you because I can see it happening. I can see it happening right in our community. I, some of you are making huge sacrifices, particularly this year even. Sacrifices of time, energy, money. You've actually reevaluated things in your lives that you were doing. Hobbies, extras. I know it because you're telling me and we're talking about it and I've seen you making huge changes in your life as you've caught a vision for what God wants to do in the lives of others. And I want to tell you, it is so encouraging and it is making a huge difference. It's making a difference right here. It's making a difference in our community. So be encouraged that as you have understood this treasure and you're beginning to follow after Jesus and say, you know, this stuff doesn't matter. I just want to go after Jesus. It's making a huge difference in your lives, in the lives of others. But it also does raise the challenge for us as we finish, doesn't it? It does ask us the question, what do I really value? Like what, in my heart of hearts, what do I hold up as life's value for me? And is there a challenge in there for us? Are there ways where we say, you know what, at the end of the day, week, month, year, life, there's things that I hold of value that when I really begin to look at what God wants to do, I realize there's a contradiction there. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to take time to reevaluate what you value. Ask Jesus to reveal his kingdom desire for you and for the lives of those around you, for your kids for your youth, for our youth, for the, the seniors in our community, for the, for the people who are working, for the people who are at home, for the kids in our schools, all throughout our community, to have a vision of what God wants to do in their lives and the way that he's calling us to follow him into that. As we capture a vision of what Jesus has for us, I think all else pales. And we will be filled with joy, willing to give it all up, or whatever is necessary so that we can get in on Jesus' vision for others and His desire for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that You came to seek and to save the lost, that You were like this merchant on a hunt. And You deemed us precious. It's beautiful. You gave it all up so that we could be restored to Your Father. And now as restored people, as people have been called to follow you, you've asked us to continue to walk with you in this kingdom life and to let your vision for the world become our vision for the world. 
I pray that this would be true of us. I pray that the sacrifices we may have made, that they would pale in comparison to what you were doing in the lives of others, in the lives of our kids, in our own lives. As we experience your love and your transformation. Jesus, I pray that we would be as a community, as a church, passionately committed to living in your kingdom. Seeing men and women and children transformed by your love. Changed for eternity. So we give ourselves to you, Lord, with joy. With joy. With excitement. Knowing that this is the most solid investment we could ever make and we're willing to make it. May you continue to do your work in us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. And as you go today, we'll have, we have coffee and we have a Chick Cafe, which is uh, raising money for our uh, kids to go. But I encourage you to mull around, get to know one another, but also to maybe begin the question of how did this sit with you today? What's the challenge you're carrying away today? In what ways are you encouraged? Have that conversation with each other as you leave. Go in the peace of the Lord. Thanks for coming.